Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. I don't know about you, but summer oftentimes is a time to travel. It's a time for uh, vacations and road trips and all of those kinds of things. And I don't know if you've noticed, but boy, there are a lot of orange signs and orange cones around. Anybody seen that? You know, oftentimes when we're driving, one of the things that these road signs or these signs tell us are warning signs, oftentimes of what's coming. For instance, when a lane is about to close, and I don't know about you if you get frustrated with this, but I see the lane is about to close or the arrow or something's coming up. Right lane is closed one mile ahead. I work my way over to follow the sign, right? And how many ever get frustrated because there are others that seem to wait till the last minute? And then they want to get over, right? And sometimes I just don't have the love of Jesus. I just want to speed right up and say, no, 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 no. You wait your turn. You didn't get over in time. And that just caused a backup. That's a side. But oftentimes we look at road signs because road signs tell us when we're supposed to, what's coming up. Is there a curve to navigate? Is there trouble up ahead? Something that we haven't seen and and what's happening. And today, as we take a look at the book of Daniel, what we're going to find is Daniel makes a shift. Daniel's chapter 1 through 6 have been a lot of stories and a lot of history and a lot of uh, times where uh, Daniel and his friends were hanging on to the promises of God. They were hanging on to God's word. They were hanging on to what God's word said. They weren't going to compromise. They weren't going to bow down. No matter what the culture around them was trying to teach them, trying to tell them, wanted them to do, they weren't going to bow down. And so we see these great stories of faith. We see these, these these wonderful things happening. And so Daniel chapter one through six is great. But then we take a transition and we're about to enter into Daniel chapter seven. And from Daniel chapter seven through Daniel chapter 12, what we begin to encounter is that Daniel makes a shift from these wonderful stories and history and telling us to dreams and visions and prophecy. Things about what's coming up. Visions that Daniel has that have to do with the future, oftentimes that have to do with the end times. And, and we get a lot of apocalyptic literature and prophetic literature. And I've got to be honest with you. I got to this point and said, you know, before, Lord, you want to lead us? We're going to go through the book of Daniel in the summer. And I was all gung-ho. And then I got to chapter 7 and I went, Wow. I think I'd rather stop at six because this is complicated. This is, this is not easy to understand. And no matter which different people you read, it seems like there are different takes or different understandings. God, help me to, to help your people begin to understand some of these things. So we're going to be a little bit in Daniel and we're going to be a little bit in Revelation. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into some very difficult, apocalyptic, end times things in which I've got to tell you that what we're looking at are 
are these, these visions and these dreams, and we're doing our best to look at other passages of Scripture and say, okay, God, this is what the road signs, this is what we think is coming, this is what we, this is what we interpret, this is what we're happening, but I got to be honest with you, sometimes there's a little bit of mystery. How many of you know God has mystery? We think we see things, and then sometimes it, it, may, it may change because God's the one that knows. So I, I just want to kind of put that in there because, you know, sometimes when we're talking about predictions to the future, how many know that sometimes we don't always get it right? You know what I'm talking about? You ever predicted something and not get it right? The weather people do this all the time, right? They get paid to be wrong. I, I don't know how that is. They're like wrong most of the time. I don't get that. Maybe they're not wrong most of the time. Maybe technology is better. But anyway, for instance, some predictions, they, they go wrong. For instance, I found a couple of humorous ones that I just thought might be fun just for us to kind of open up. Western Union, Western Union been around for a long time. And uh, Western Union, back in 1876, they said this about the telephone. They said, the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. How many know they missed the mark, right? Uh, Lord Kelvin, the president of the Royal Society in 1895, he said this, heavier than air flying machines are impossible. And then eight years later in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, <laughs> we know what happened. He was proved wrong. Predictions, they're not always right. In 1943, Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, stated, I think there is a world market for about maybe five computers. You know what's interesting? In a personal computer in my office, I found that quote, <laughs> right? You know, uh, and I think this has got to be one of my favorites. Record company executive Decca Records in 1962 said, we don't like their sound. We don't think the Beatles will do anything. Guitars are on the way out. <laughs> we as people don't always get things right, but you know what? The Bible does. The Bible does. The Bible is a unique book that deals with both history and prophecy, and that's what we see in, in, in Daniel. Daniel's 1 through 6 are a lot of history, but Daniel 7 through 12 are a lot of prophecy, a lot of apocalyptic literature. So let's dive right in today in Daniel chapter 7. And when Daniel wrote this, he's, he's now moving to some visions and dreams that he saw. We, we saw in Daniel chapter 2 that he interpreted a dream that the king had. In Daniel chapter 4, another dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Daniel chapter 5, the writing on the wall and, and these kinds of things. But this is personal. And what's happening in Daniel chapter 7 through 12 are some personal visions and dreams that, that Daniel had experienced. And, uh, and, and so Daniel chapter 2 is, is very comparable by the images and the things that are happening to what we saw in Daniel, or Daniel chapter 7, very comparable to the statue and the things that we saw in Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to dive into that. So here we go, Daniel 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed, and he wrote down the substance of his dream. Now, we're going to get into the dream in just a moment, but let me pause just to give the timing. Because last week, we were talking about Daniel chapter 6 for the last couple of weeks. And in Daniel chapter 6, the Medo-Persians were, were in power and Darius was king. But Daniel chapter 7 is out of the chronological order. It's not that this happened then after. No, this actually happened before in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. So this actually happened sometime between chapter 4 and chapter 5. 
Because chapter 5 was at the end of Belshazzar's reign. And chapter this, this chapter 7, this dream happened sometime in between when Nebuchadnezzar had passed and in the first year of when Belshazzar had taken over. Let's continue on. Verse 2. Here's the vision. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. Four great beasts, each different from others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat and fill your flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And its back had four wings like those of a bird. And the beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. It had ten horns. Now, I want to pause for a moment, because this is very similar uh, different images, we're talking about beasts here, different images one after the other. But most scholars agree that similar to the statue in Daniel chapter 2 of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, this is representative of four successive kingdoms and four successive rulers, four rulers. Again, we had the statue before, and later in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel begins to, to ask for the interpretation, and in, in, in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 17, this is what the angel who approaches him to help him begin to understand the vision explains to him, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. Now, what Daniel is seeing is a panoramic vision, so to speak, of the future world. You have to understand that when Daniel is writing this, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, which represented the head of gold in Daniel chapter 2, also represents the first beast. But everything else that is happening chronologically, first year of Belshazzar's reign, is still to happen. The Medo-Persian Empire has not taken over yet. And so everything that's happening for Daniel is future happening here. And what he sees is, is that from this day on, we're beginning with the Babylonian Empire, followed by the Medo-Persian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire, followed by the Roman Empire. That's the fourth empire. It is very similar to Daniel chapter 2, including all the way down to 10, 10 horns. And if you remember, in Daniel chapter 2, the image had what? 10 toes. 10 toes. And so you, you have the Roman Empire, if you remember back to that, that, that divided later on between the East and the West, the East being in Constantinople and the West having its capital in Rome. And similarly here, we have a very similar understanding and, and everybody that I read all agrees, everybody agrees that they are, they are very similar in, in nature in terms of the same kingdoms that they're talking about. 
And again, for Daniel chapter 2, the main uh, theme is not, not this kingdom, then that kingdom, then this kingdom in terms of a timeline to come. But the main theme is the fact, and here also in Daniel chapter 7, the main theme is, is kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But there is a kingdom that is coming that will last forever. And the, the son, Jesus Christ, is the one who's going to come. That's the theme. The, the idea behind this is not to, to focus on, is it this kingdom, is it that kingdom? But it's to focus on the fact that there is a kingdom that is coming that is not earthly. A kingdom that will last and that will be a part of a reign that will last throughout eternity. And Jesus Christ will rule. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments here. But God is going to give his son an everlasting kingdom. Now before we get to the heart of that theme, I want to point out a difference in the vision. Because Daniel chapter 7 then begins to take a little bit of a twist, and there's a little bit of a turn. And as we move through Daniel chapter 7, there's a, a, lot, of, there's a lot of references even in the interpretation because it's the one thing that kind of stirred up Daniel, and he was troubled. And he said, well, what about, what about this next part? What about this next part? So if you remember Daniel chapter 2 with the 10 toes, it moved from there to a rock that was cut out of the side of a mountain that came and destroyed the toes that were made mixed partly of iron and partly of clay and destroyed them. And then that rock that, that destroyed those became a mountain that grew up. And that's where that vision ended. But in Daniel chapter 7, when you talk about the 10 horns, now something else is taking place. Look at verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had, had uh, eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So you have this little horn. This is a little different. You had ten toes and the rock suddenly come, but, but here in this vision... Now, among the ten horns, which is very similar to the ten horns, the ten toes, there is a little horn. And that little horn begins to grow up, and that little horn begins to uproot three and begins to take over and has a mouth that is very boastful and, 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 and eyes, which gives the idea of understanding and intelligence and, and, and perception. And, and this little horn begins to raise up, and Daniel is troubled by this little horn. He's troubled by it. Who is the little horn? What does the little horn refer to? Oh, this is where it gets interesting, friends. Because most scholars believe that the little horn represents, dare I say it, the Antichrist. And I know today we've got movies and different things. And so it seems like fictional literature when you talk about the Antichrist. That's the enemy. The enemy loves to be subtle and loves to find ways to make things in the Bible seem as if they're, they're picturesque or they're, they're just, you know, a uh, nice little fairy tale. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. We see in the Bible, and I'm going to point it out, that the Antichrist is something that is very real that Scripture talks about. And I want to talk a little bit, I'll, before we get into the main heart and the meat, I have to talk about the Antichrist. I have to talk about what that is because there's a lot of confusion uh, over that. Uh, again, most scholars refer to it. Now, people have been trying to figure it out. Who is the Antichrist? 
Who's the Antichrist going to be? People have been trying to figure that out for centuries. Early Christians believed it was Caesar Nero because of his persecutions to believers. Others believed it was the Emperor Cagula uh, in AD 37 who put an image of himself in the temple in Jerusalem, and they believed that that was a fulfillment uh, of prophecy, and he was the Antichrist. Others guessed it was Charlemagne. Some said it was Napoleon. Uh, Many people believed that it was Hitler. Uh, back during, during World War II and during that time, many people believed that Hitler was the Antichrist, the way it persecuted the Jews. Some thought it might have been Mussolini or even uh, the Russian leader, Joseph Stalin. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was called uh, the Antichrist at one time. John F. Kennedy was called the Antichrist at one time. Harry Kissinger was called the Antichrist at one time. Uh, uh, Sun Myung Moon was called the Antichrist, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, Barack Obama, and even over this last year, I had people emailing me things that Donald Trump was the Antichrist. I guess we shall see. It, it all depends on what side you're on, right? If you're not on this side or that side, you'd think the other person is the Antichrist, right? We have a, like a, this fascination with figuring out who's the Antichrist. Right? So, so what, is, what does it say? Well, the very title Antichrist oftentimes can send shutters down. We saw that as that things were happening with the pandemic over the last year and a half. Everybody was feeling like, man, we are, we, we're in the end times. What's happening? Things are, are coming about. Is Jesus going to come? Am I, am I going to take the mark? What's going to happen? What is all this? Anybody figure any of that stuff? Did you watch any of them YouTube videos? Fearing that stuff? Nobody wants to admit it now. But you know you did. You know you wondered. It wasn't just me, because some of you sent me things. I know it. I know it. I know it. These are questions, and they are. They are questions. These are things that are mysteries. We're trying to figure it out. We've always been trying to figure it out. That's what happens. We want to know. And so, uh, who is the Antichrist? We don't want to be deceived by the Antichrist, right? We don't want to be, we don't want to be those deceived, and that's a good thing. The Antichrist is used four times in the New Testament, each by the Apostle John. And what it suggests is a person who is against Christ, and yet not simply against Christ, but the prefix anti doesn't just mean against, but it also, uh, it, it also is a person, a coming world leader who's not, not only to oppose Christ, but also tries to pass himself off as Christ. Ask Christ. I'm passing myself. I'm not only opposed to Christ. I'm opposed to him. He wasn't the real deal. He wasn't the real Messiah. He isn't the real one. I'm the real one. I'm the real one. And both Daniel chapter 7 and other passages of scripture basically use four words to describe him. They will describe him as a ruler. He will be a world ruler. He will be somebody that comes in. And and let me tell you something. He's going to come in as a little horn. All right, a little horn. He's going to come in and and he's going to be very intelligent. He's going to have a lot of charisma. He's going to come in and he's going to be very deceptive. And there are going to be some miracles and some signs and things that happen that people get drawn and get deceived into believing that that there's something. He's not going to be this like, but he will speak very boastfully and arrogantly. And, 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 and so he, he will grow into power. He's a ruler. He'll be a speaker. He'll be very eloquent in his words and a very good speaker. But he'll also be an oppressor. He will oppress people who do not agree. There'll be great persecution. 
There'll be great oppression that will take place. I think that's where the fear and things come from. But ultimately, and this is what we're going to look at today, is ultimately in the vision that Daniel has, you have this verse followed by another because ultimately he is the ultimate loser. He is the loser. He loses. And, and, and this, this horn signifies a ruler. An animal horn represented strength. And it was often used as a weapon. It was a symbol of power and might. He goes by other names. We're going to see this. So I'm going to give you a little preview. And Daniel chapter 8, this same person goes by the king of fierce countenance. In Daniel chapter 9, he's called the prince that shall come. And Daniel chapter 11, he's called the willful king. Daniel will reference him over and over. And so we will get a little more into the Antichrist, some of the qualities as we see these things played out within this kind of writing in literature. Different names, but they're all speaking of this same kind of ruler who comes before Jesus Christ comes back. So he will come before Jesus' final second coming before he comes back. Revelation 13 calls him the beast. Jesus Christ calls him the abomination that causes desolation. Referring to, to what Daniel had spoken of. Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 calls him the lawless one. Calls him the man of sin and the son of perdition. And Daniel was the first guy, though, to speak comprehensively uh, about him. Daniel was the first one to, to kind of give us a little bit of this, this vision that he had about this Antichrist. And again, as we move through, we're going we're gonna to see some things. But in the end, he loses. He loses. So how do I know that? Because I want to focus on what the vision ends with. And I, I want to talk with you about some things that going into the end times, going into the things that are, that are coming up in this world, what are some things that we can count on? There's a lot of mystery, but I'm going to talk to you about four things that are not a mystery, but are very clear that we see in this vision. Conclusions that we can draw from this vision that are things that we can, can count on. All right, so are you ready to go? All right, the first thing that we see, following this, this thing of the Antichrist, this little horn that is raising up, Daniel's vision moves to a scene of a courtroom. And so the first thing that we know is coming is judgment is coming. Oh, wow. Did you have to go there, Pastor? Well, let's see the vision. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat his clothing was as white as snow and his hair uh, of his head was white like wool and his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. Kind of reminds me if you, if you read through Ezekiel, Ezekiel's vision, a wheel within a wheel. Wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Friends, this is a court scene. In this vision, this is a court scene. And sitting atop this vision is one who is called the Ancient of Days. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. Before we even got into the New Testament, what Daniel sees in this vision is a judgment is coming. A reckoning is coming. A judgment is coming. And God will assume his rightful place on the divine seat of judgment. He's going to be the one to make the final verdict. 
Daniel has seen the future. There's going to be four kingdoms that come. The Babylonian kingdom, followed by the Medo-Persian kingdom, followed by the, 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 the Greek kingdom and Alexander the Great, followed by the Roman Empire that has an idea of both what was and what could be coming. I'm just going to give you a little hint into that. Could be a, a, a reorganization and reckoning of some bit of the, the Roman Empire in the last days and what that looks like. And there's a lot of different clues. But in the end, friends, in the end, it is not done until the King of Kings comes and takes his place on the throne. On the throne of judgment. Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, Cyrus and Darius, Alexander the Great, the Caesars of Rome, they've all come and gone. They had their time. They had their judgments. But the ultimate king is coming and judgment is coming. The ultimate king is coming and they're being judged and, 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 and they're not rendering the judgment. And Daniel saw nations come and go. He saw a tens of thousands of people lining up and the books of the court as he was seated, the books were open. Friends, ever since the beginning of time, can I tell you something? Satan has been working to convince people, did God really say? Did God really say? And one of the things that he has tried to downplay, did God really say that there is a judgment that is coming? Did God really say that hell is real and there's an eternal punishment and eternal hell? There's a lot of people that, that, that try to downplay this. Satan tries to downplay it. Oh, that's not what's going to happen. You know what? There's not even a God you have to worry about. There's not even a judgment. You're just going to live. Live the way you want. Live however you want. And when you die, you're just, you're just going to kind of go on as time passes into oblivion. And that's going to be it. You can believe that. Many people do. But other people say, well, I do believe there is a God, but he's kind of this benevolent, you know, kind of nice grandfather. I go to him like Santa Claus whenever I want something and when everything isn't going right. And then I call on his name and I ask him and, and he kind of gives me what I want. And sometimes I get mad at him because he doesn't give me what he wants. But ultimately, when it comes down to, to judging of sin, he's just this loving grandfather. And, and so I'm just going to, when I die, I'm just going to go to heaven and it's going to be okay. And maybe I get a little slap on the wrist or I don't get what everybody else does, whatever. But I'm a good person And because I'm a good person When I stand before it, it, it My good will outweigh my bad And everything's going to be okay Or there's not a hell at all Everybody's trying to believe in something And you believe in what you believe And I believe in what I believe And all these roads eventually Lead to, to heaven and, and everything will be okay Kumbaya Except that that's not what the Bible says that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way. There's no other way to get to him, to get to heaven except through him. There's no other way. I go to prepare a place for you. There's no other way. I'm the way. There's no other way. Salvation in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus. Why? Because the Bible is very clear that we have this sin issue and this sin problem. And one day we're going to give an account and we're going to stand before this judgment seat. Can I move to Revelation for a moment? Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, 11, verses 11 and 12. And then I'm going to skip to verse 15. 
This is, what, this is what John saw, a vision that John, one of the apostles of Jesus, saw later on. He said, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Boy, doesn't that sound very similar. Daniel was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this, and yet John has a vision in which there is one who is seated, standing before the throne. People are standing before the throne. There's a throne, and books are open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, get this, was thrown into the lake of fire. I just let that sit for a moment. That's sobering. What happens if we truly lived our lives as if we believed that? Sometimes I think we say we believe it. But do we live as if we truly believe that? Can you imagine the nail-scarred hands of Jesus flipping through that book called the book of life? The book of life to see whose name is written in there or not in there. There's a judgment that's coming, friends. And it's, it, it's a judgment that's coming for everyone. The question is, is it possible to escape that judgment? Yes. In fact, that's the preferred method. <laughs> that's called the great white throne judgment. That's the judgment that determines with our sin, who paid for our sin? Who, who pays for our sin? Did I pay for my, if, if, if it's up to me and I have sin and I have to figure out a way and I choose any other way, but Jesus, my name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, salvation, forgiveness, and grace comes when I, when I choose by faith to trust Jesus, when his grace overshadows me, when I suddenly am aware of my sin by his grace, and I say, I'm a sinner, what do I do? Just like in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and they were cut to the heart, and they said, what do we do? We're sinners, what do we do? We're separated from God. We've sinned against God. What do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. we got to get to that place. What do we do? Unless we don't really believe there's a judgment and we don't believe we're a sinner. And I guess that's a risk that some people are willing to take. But the Bible is very clear. That there is a judgment that is coming. There is a judgment that is coming. And all of those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life are going to stand before the judge who will say, your name is not found here. Rather than well done, good and faithful servant instead, I don't know you. I don't know you. Wow, I know that's sobering. Right? But Jesus promised this. John 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in me or believes in him who sent me 
has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Friends, do you want that? See, Daniel's vision shows that a courtroom and judgment is coming. Revelation says that judgment is coming. But friends, everlasting life is as simple as leaning and trusting and relying on Jesus Christ for my salvation. It's as simple as that. Second thing, justice is coming. We all love to hear justice. That's a big word thrown around today. Justice. Justice. Well, let's take a look in the vision next. 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority that were, uh, but were allowed to live for a period of time. And then skipping down to Daniel 7, 26. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. What this says is this justice will take place. So I talked about the Antichrist a little bit earlier. And for a period of time, the Antichrist will raise up. The Antichrist will rule. The Antichrist will oppress. The Antichrist will deceive. But in the end, justice is coming because the Antichrist will get what his due, what's coming to him. The Antichrist will get his due. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. Nowadays, we, we talk about justice and we get upset when, when somebody who we know is guilty gets off on a technicality when it doesn't happen. But friends, I'm going to tell you that the Bible says that God is just and he sees things as they are, not through all of the lies and all of the slants and all of the different things. He is the one who sees and in the end, justice is coming. Justice is coming. The beast, the Antichrist, his dominion is going to be broken into pieces. He was trampling. He was a killing machine. But when he gets caught, he gets punished. He, justice, is coming. John describes this in Revelation 19, 20. But the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who performed the signs on its behalf. And with these signs, he had deluded those who had received uh, the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Friends, that's justice. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. But thirdly, and this is, oh, this is so good. Friends, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Look, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Friends, this is the focus, the central focus. So many people get Daniel chapter 7, and all they want to focus on is Antichrist, Antichrist, Antichrist. What's he look like? What's he going to do? What's this? What's this? Quit focusing on the Antichrist. Focus on the fact that Jesus is coming. The Antichrist gets one verse. Other than at the end when Daniel's like, oh, I'm so worried. What's going to happen? What's that? And then he goes through it. He goes, but guess what? He's a loser. All right. Yes, he's an oppressor. Yes, he's going to deceive. Yes, he's going to come. And all of that, he's going to deceive. But guess what? He loses. In the end, he loses. Why? Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Daniel says, I see one like the Son of Man. It's interesting because 81 times in the four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 81 times, this is the title that Jesus gives himself, the Son of Man. This is what made the Pharisees and the religious leaders, everybody so uncomfortable. 
Because they knew the writings of Daniel. They knew what happened. And when Jesus called himself son of man, it just simply wasn't saying, well, well, I'm both fully, fully human and fully God. Yes, there was a part of his humanity, but more than that, he was saying, I am the one that Daniel prophesied about. I am the Messiah. I'm the one who is coming. And he gives himself this name. In fact, what verse 13 is referring to is what is called the second coming of Christ. And and I want you to know, friends, that the second coming, the theme of the second coming dominates the Bible. It dominates Scripture. There, there is no subject that's more discussed in the, more discussed in the, in the Bible uh, next to a subject of faith in the second coming. So faith is number one, but number two is the second coming. Here's a few statistics that I found. 1,845 times the second coming is dealt with in the Bible. 1,845 times. That, that means that one out of every 30 verses mentions the second coming or the last days. One-fourth to one-fifth of all Scripture refers to it. Seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament refer to the second coming. For every one mention of the first coming, the second coming is mentioned eight times. Eight times. For every one time the atonement is mentioned, the second coming is mentioned twice. Jesus personally referred to his, his second coming 21 times and no less than 50 times in the Bible we're told that we are to get ready. Why? Because Jesus is coming. Well, you might say, well, why did Jesus leave the first time? If he went after the resurrection, why didn't he just stay? Why, why, why didn't he just stay? Why did he, why didn't he, why did he have to have to leave again? Because the first time he came, friends, he came to deal with sin. Can I just be honest with you? He came to deal with sin. That's what he came. He came to die on the cross and pay the punishment for sin. He took the sin of the world upon himself. He took you and I, he took our sin. And, 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 and then he went to heaven so that all of those who, who, who placed their faith in him might be spared of that judgment that is coming that we talked about. Might be spared of that judgment. And, and, and so he, he went away. Why? Because his atoning work when he was raised from the dead, he, he gave a commission to you and I. Why? Because we are to go out and we're to share that there is hope so that others don't have to face that judgment. That's why I said, do we live as if we believe that judgment is coming? Do we really love family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors and others who don't believe in Jesus? That's why missions is so much at the heart because we know that those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will face that eternal judgment seat. They'll face that eternal judgment in hell. I know this is not fun. But friends, I want you to know something. Jesus went the first time to deal with sin, but the second time that he comes back is different. The first time he dealt with sin, but the second time he's coming to take over. The second time he comes, he's coming to take over. He's coming to take his place on the throne. He's coming to lead his kingdom. The first time was to deal with sin, but the second time is to take over, and he will take over politicians and prime ministers, and he's going to say, listen, folks, you had your time to rule, but your kingdom, your time is ending, and my time has come. My time has come. It's right, why the writer of the book of Revelation, John, why he says all the time these famous words, even so, Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You've heard the term Maranatha, come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. 
Do you long for his appearing? Do you long for his coming? Friends, Jesus is coming. Daniel sees one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and wages war, and his eyes are like a blazing fire. And on his head, get this, are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of of God and the armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen white and clean and coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which will strike down the nations and here's this here it is he will rule them with an iron scepter he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written king of kings and lord of lords he is coming to rule. He's coming to rule. Pontius Pilate said, are you a king? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Why does he have so many crowns? Because he will have no rivals anymore. All of those that have crowns, all of those who rule in the earthly that have been given that permission to rule will lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus. He will be the one with many crowns because he has no rival. He has no equal. Ian McPherson, the Scotsman, I love what he said. Where Christ once bore the world's frown, he will one day wear the world's crowns. <laughs> He's in charge. And that leads us to the last part. The last thing we can count on, and that is, friends, joy is coming. Joy is coming. Judgment is coming. And that makes us go, oh, justice is coming. And we go, yes, justice. And then Jesus is coming. Woohoo! And that means joy. Joy is coming. Daniel 7, 14, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting. And that everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And then I love when we skip down to Daniel 7, 18. But the holy people of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever yes forever and ever and you say how is that joyful it's joyful because jesus reigns jesus reigns hey, let me let me tell you something when jesus reigns guess what it means all wars are going to stop all wars are going to cease all anxiety is going to cease in jesus name all violence all terrorism all sickness all disease is going to cease when jesus reigns joy will come we have people march for peace all the time Right? People are always trying to march for peace. People are going to, well, I'm doing this for world peace, for world peace, for world peace. And I'm not saying that working towards peace is not a good thing, but we have all kinds of people trying to work towards world peace. In fact, they got bumper stickers, you know, uh, that talk about world peace and all those things. But friends, world peace isn't coming until the Prince of Peace comes. World peace won't happen until the Prince of Peace comes. There's a building in, in New York City called the United Nations Building. And as you enter, right above the door as you enter, there's a scripture, Isaiah 2, 4. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation. And now neither shall they learn to make war anymore. You know what it is? It's a prediction of when Jesus comes. 
They can put it over and think the United Nations is somehow going to bring world peace. The United Nations is not going to bring world peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is who is going to bring world peace. And when Jesus Christ comes, joy comes. Joy will come. The parable of the of, of, of the so uh, of the of the servants, and uh, you know, as they 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 did what they were supposed to do, what they heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into what the joy of your Lord. There's a little book in the New Testament called Jude. It only has one chapter. So Jude, the 24th verse says this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Revelation 21 says there's no more sorrow anymore. There's no more pain. There's no more crying. There's no more death. Why, friends? Because joy is coming. Because Jesus is coming, joy is coming. And Daniel chapter 7, you get this vision and we get a little nervous. Who's the little horn? It's not about the little horn. The little horn will come and go just like the Babylonian kingdom came and went. Just like the Medo-Persian empire came and went. Just like Alexander the Great. I have no more worlds to conquer. Boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I'm going to reign. And then his kingdom ended. And the Romans came and our kingdom is, we're going to rule with an iron scepter and Caesar after Caesar and, and we're going we're, we're gonna to rule. And guess what? Ooh, there it goes. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, joy is coming. Joy is coming. One of my favorite hymns, How Great Thou Art. I love the, the, what the, the fourth verse of that hymn. When Christ shall come. With shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, right? And I shall bow in humble adoration and proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Friends, we don't get to know all the details, right? But one thing we do know is he wins. One thing we do know is he rules. One thing we do know is that joy is coming, And as we talk and we go on more, we're going to talk a little bit more about end time stuff and I'll get into a little more details. But I just wanted to start with this because we get so distracted sometimes. And what we know in scripture is simply this, judgment is coming. It's a very real thing. So if you're not right with the Lord, if if you have not allowed Jesus Christ to be the one to forgive you of your sin, if you've not put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, if you've not received his gift a forgiveness by the shedding of his blood on the cross and his mercy and grace. Friends, today is the day of salvation. We are not promised tomorrow. Bible is, the Bible is very clear. Judgment is coming. Justice will come. Judgment is coming. And today is the day to get your life right with Christ. Today's the day to get your life right with Jesus Christ. If you're wrestling with anxiety, And fear, let me tell you something. Jesus is coming, friends. Joy is coming. If you're a believer in Jesus, but you get caught up in all the bad news going on in the world and all the woe is me and all the, oh no, what is going to come? Let me tell you something. God is sovereign and he's in charge. I pray for our nation. I want our our nation to turn back to Christ. I want revival. But our nation is not the answer. America is not the savior. It's not. There is no president. There is no governor. 
There is no politician, humanly and earthly speaking, that is the answer. You can put your hope in that. Many do. But you'll be discouraged. You'll be disgruntled. You'll get upset. Oh, but friends, the Bible says there's a there's a king that is coming. And his name is Jesus. And salvation is found in no other name. The work of the church, the work of believers, is not to point people to who they ought to vote for in an election. It's to point people to who's the one who can save their soul. Who can forgive their sin. Because judgment is coming. It is. And I don't know exactly when. No man knows the day or the hour when Jesus is going to return. But the church has been called to be ready. And we've been called to go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. So do you need to get right with God today? Because judgment is coming. Do you need to get right with God today? Do you need to put your faith in Jesus today? Do you need to ask Christ to forgive you of your sin today? Today's the day of salvation. And so I want to pray, and maybe you're watching online as well. And if you say, you know what, I need to get right with Jesus. I need to give my life to Christ. Maybe for the first time, I need to give my life to Christ. Or maybe you've responded, but you did so, but it didn't. It just wasn't something you know you've been just not living the way you're supposed to. And you say, you know, I just need to make that commitment again. I just, I need to ask for his forgiveness. Or maybe it's been a while. And as you look at yourself, you realize that it's been a while since you did what 1 John 1, 9 says. If I confess my my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If, if that's you today, will you just slip up your hand, Pastor, I need to get right with Jesus today. I need to get right with Jesus. If you're online, will you let us know, I need to get right with Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need his salvation today. Is there anyone at all? Father, we just thank you today that, Lord, in the end, we have hope that you win, that in the end, we know that you will sit on your throne, and in the end, Jesus, you are coming, and joy and peace are coming because of you. So, Father, right now, we just ask, Lord, that you would make it right, make our hearts right with you. We ask you, Jesus, we ask for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. We ask you, Lord, to to save our soul today. Our faith is in you. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. It is not in our own goodness. It's not in any kind of religion. It's in you, Jesus. So come and cleanse us and come and make us right with you. And I pray that as your people, you would just put inside of us a desire to share with others this good news that although judgment is coming and although sin will be rendered, hope has come. Has come. And his name is Jesus. Father, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand. And if you gave your life to Christ today, on the bottom of the notes on our app, there's a link. And it says, I've decided to follow Jesus. Will you click that? Fill out that form and let us know. We'd like to come alongside you if you made that decision to follow Jesus.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.